0: Kneel Before Blog presents
1: Kneel Before Pod.
0: Hello and welcome to another Neil Before Pod interview. I'm Craig and this time I had the pleasure of talking to Sean Sipos, who plays Devin Talthard in Dark Matter, Aaron Whitmore in The Vampire Diaries and of course most recently Adam Strange in Krypton. Join us as we discuss his career, Krypton's cancellation and some character quirks you may have missed on the show. Please accept my apologies for the audio being spotty in places, but this was recorded on Skype, and I'm sure you know how temperamental that can be. Anyway, I'll shut up, and you can enjoy. So, I'm delighted to be joined on Neil Before Pod with Sean Sipos. Hi, welcome on.
1: Thank you very much for having me.
0: Well, thanks for coming on. It's been great to arrange this time with you. First of all, I guess I'll just say a big condolences for the, the show being cancelled. Um, the announcement came out yesterday... As of time of recording, so I was a bit upset by it, and I imagine it's probably not the best news for you guys either.
1: No, but, you know, I would say, as opposed to condolences, perhaps um, congratulations on making a wonderful show that we've all enjoyed. Because if it were up to us, we'd be filming a third season with, you know, I spoke with Cam Welsh and some of the other um, creatives on there, on the team, and they were planning for a... A pretty spectacular third season that I think would have left the second one in the dust. But, uh, you know, it's not up to us. If you plant your seed and you till your fields and you prep it, and it's not up to you whether or not it rains.
0: That's a good way of looking at it. Although I've heard that they're shopping it around maybe like streaming services and things like that, so All Hope doesn't seem lost.
1: No, All Hope is not lost. So when you hang out with an owl long enough, you pick that up.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, the Expanse got brought back, Lucifer got brought back, so you know, it could be you guys too. I hope so.
1: It could be. So, you never know.
0: Okay, so we'll just start off with a little bit about yourself. Um, kind of what was your, your early life, like your upbringing, and how did you kind of get into the acting sphere? Uh, how did you get on that
1: path? I fear that this is going to be incredibly boring, <laughs> explaining this, but... Um, <laughs> I'm sure it will I grew up in Vancouver Island and a uh, fairly big family, and I, I grew up mainly... Playing competitive sports. I, I played competitive hockey and didn't really have anything to do with the arts, although I did write. I found some of my old writings from when I was like, you know, 10, 11, 12. Uh, and they were actually quite good. I, I I looked up some of them to see if, if I'd perhaps plagiarized them or something. Um, <laughs> I couldn't find anything. But uh, that's my only link to the arts, really, really and truly. So I started acting. 18, I was getting close to graduating, and I was planning on being a doctor. All right, okay. My dentist's wife asked me what I was going to do, and I told her. And I think I would have joined the military and gone through that route, so I didn't come up with debt. So... I told her that, and she said, well, what about, you know, acting? She had a friend who was an agent, and she said, I'll set you guys up. So, out of sheer curiosity, I went to the agent. I was an action coach, and they just handed me a set of sides He said, read these. So I read them, and this coach went, oh, okay, well, why do come and do a couple of classes and then uh, communicate with the agent? And I said, oh, okay. So I went and I did a few classes for maybe a month. And then she called the agent and said, you should represent him. And she started sending me out, and uh, a little while later, I... I um, managed to be fortunate enough to book a TV show and that got picked up and they were like, you got to come down to LA, film this. I remember thinking, well, shit, I was just doing this as like a something fun to occupy my time. And then it, it sort of put my ideas of going to med school on hold because I had to come down. I had I'd signed a contract and then I started acting and then I enjoyed it. And I thought, geez, how do I get this? And so I started that process Of self-work introspection which is truly what you need because you are your own instrument and if you can't figure out how it works and how other people work uh, i don't think you can be very good at it and you got a
0: series regular gig on like your second try on tv so was that daunting to go from nothing essentially into being one of the cast or was it easy enough to kind of slide into
1: no it was daunting for sure because you don't know what I mean, I came down to L.A., obviously, to film the show. It was, uh, I believe they have it as a series wreck. No, uh, my first thing, actually, was a series wreck. So yeah, it's just
0: to- your IMDb page. There's a one-shot thing before that on the list. So may- maybe you filmed that
1: after. I don't know. Which one's on the list there?
0: So well, your first I- credit is Special Unit 2 as Team Guy.
1: I mean, that wasn't the first thing that I'd ever done, but that might have been the second thing, because I filmed the pilot for this show called Maybe It's Me, and that's what mm-hmm. what I was a, a, a series wreck on. I'm very short-lived series, right? But I went on that, and I, and I did get in trouble on that because you, you don't know set etiquette. <laughs> and I didn't understand things. I, would, I remember one time I had a bunch of time in between my scenes. I think they were, there was a few scenes in between, one that I had already shot and the one that I was to shoot next. And one of the guys said, yeah, just go shoot some hoops. Go shoot some basketball. And occupy your time. I went, oh, okay. So I went out. I was playing some basketball. And then I came back and someone said, geez, you're all sweaty. And I said, yeah, you know, someone told me to go play basketball. And they said, geez, shower. So I went, took a shower, came back, and makeup were furious. They had to redo my <laughs> hair, my makeup and everything. And I got in trouble. But, you know, now I would be like, that's crazy that someone would do that. But. At the time, you know, I was 18 years old. I had no idea.
0: And you were told to do it as well. So that, that yeah. wouldn't have helped.
1: Yeah, someone just kind of like casually was like, go play <laughs> some basketball. I think it was an AD too. And then someone else, <laughs> I can't remember who said, you should just take a shower. Um, But, you know, you live and learn.
0: Yeah. It's something not to do again, I suppose.
1: Yeah, but for sure it's daunting because you just don't know. It's a new world. I remember uh, someone on the set, I won't say who, it's a little mean to me. And I remember this person saying, you know how lucky you are. Like people audition for years and don't get anything. And whatever started in your own show. And I, I didn't know what to say. I
0: said, oh, okay. <laughs> so uh, you've mentioned some of your hobbies, like competitive sports and stuff. Uh, is there anything else you enjoy doing? What do you kind of watch in your spare time? Is it the sci-fi stuff along the lines of Krypton? Or do you have another sort of area of interest? Or is it just everything?
1: You know, I, there's a couple of questions there, but so I'll start with the first. In terms of hobbies... There's a bunch of hobbies that I that I do, and like, you know, I do, um, I box and do, uh, I started training some Muay Thai, which is a lot of fun, it, it keeps me in shape, doesn't feel like I'm working out, and then I also enjoy dirt biking, racing, you know, if I can take a car on the track, that's fantastic, but a lot of times it's just some track time on a motorcycle, which is nice, and you know, a lot of people think that taking a motorcycle on the track is dangerous, but it's... It's actually a lot safer than um, riding one in the streets. But there's a lot of anything that kind of is a challenge. I enjoy spearfishing because it makes me present. And, uh, yeah, I, I have a bunch of, I think, hobbies are important. And then, yeah. you know, I try and watch either a movie or an episode of TV a day. I typically, I try and watch everything. Some movies are at work. and kind of don't feel like watching them. But, I, <laughs> you know, I'll watch them um, for their artistic uh, take on things but typically what i enjoy watching is i do enjoy sci-fi stuff i enjoy fantasy type stuff you know so i don't know how many times i've watched lord of the rings but it's <laughs> quite numerous and then actiony stuff you know top i've seen that movie i don't even know how many times so a lot of a lot of those are what i kind of i will enjoy watching sit down and and just go okay cuz i'm not i don't have to think about it i mean one of my favorite movies of all time is Sicario. I yeah, just it's think great
0: film. it's
1: a great film, and that's really engaging. I mean, the other things I kind of can switch off to a degree, you know, like the Top Guns, I can kind of just go, okay, I'm, I'm able to just kind of enjoy it. Uh, movies like Sicario uh, really hook me in, and, and I... Thoroughly engaged and enthralled and inspired and motivated. I I really like movies that that also make me say to myself, can you imagine? Things like Midnight Special. I remember, actually, as a kid, uh, the Rocketeer did that.
0: Mm -hmm. That's not a great one.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Which kind of ties into uh, playing Adam Strange.
0: Yeah. Another jetpack.
1: They told me, yeah, he's got a jetpack. Because initially I didn't know. And I just went, hold on a second. Are you telling me that I'll potentially be getting to fly around with a jetpack? <laughs> and they were like, yeah, not right away, but yeah. Shit, okay. <laughs> we had a brief moment of it at the end of the second season. Yeah, a
0: drunken misfire. Yeah, yeah. And you've done some horror as well. Are you a fan of like horror films? And uh, kind of what's it like being on a set and seeing what's behind all the scares? I imagine it can ruin them to some degree.
1: To some degree, but... I'm not a massive fan of horror films. And uh, to be honest, they're they're kind of draining to film. I do enjoy it nonetheless because I enjoy working and I enjoy getting into a character and and working through the motions of it. But they can be simply because you're causing yourself to become in like a frightened state, right? So you're heightened. And when you do that, your body doesn't know the difference as to what's real or what's fake. Your brain Mm -hmm. does. Right. So your brain's able to after a scene go, No, no, this isn't real. Just calm down. But your body you still really has a has a reaction. That's why people can cry. Right? So they, they're on in front of the camera and they think of things it's called sense memory. They think of stuff that may become present and they hook into something, whether it's the other person, memory, whatever and their body thinks it's real. Their body thinks they are either reliving a trauma or expressing a trauma or whatever it is. And they have a chemical reaction, an emotional reaction. Yeah. Their body, for all intents and purposes, thinks that's real. So that's, that's draining. Which means, depending on, you know, and I, I actually, my girlfriend showed me something that was fascinating. That the actual chemical makeup of tears differs as to what type of tears you're crying. And, and let me explain that. If you cry happy tears, tears of joy, the chemical makeup, the, the actual, like, Molecular makeup of that tear is different than if you cry tears of sorrow. Huh. I didn't know that. Really interesting. Which kind of makes sense, but it kind of doesn't. You know, if you're <laughs> crying sadness, right? If you're if you're doing something that's that's sad and, and really sorrowful and, and dreary, when you experience those emotions, your brain releases cortisol, a stress hormone, which is a depressant, right? Yeah. It doesn't make sense. Versus when you feel good, you're getting hits of dopamine, serotonin make you feel good, happy. So if you're doing a project that is encouraging that, where that character is, say, on top of the world and extremely happy, then you're going to leave set feeling great. And then if you're doing the opposite, it's sometimes you leave set you're exhausted, and it can sort of carry over into your life and take a moment to shake off.
0: The definition of taking your work home with you, basically.
1: Yeah. You know, and sometimes you take your work home by choice. You don't want to let go of that character. But sometimes it does trail behind you like a, a little bit of a shadow.
0: Or like Brainiac in your head.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> Bring it all back to Krypton. Yeah. You worked on an Uwe Boll film, safe to say he's pretty infamous within the industry. So what was that experience like? Mm. What was he like to work with? And you know, It was uh, a, you an know, action film as far as I can tell, so yeah. that must have been cool.
1: A lot of people, I shouldn't say don't like the guy, a lot of people don't like his film. I want to say that the film that I worked on him with, that was one that was exhausting. But I had a good experience with Uwe, and I think he's an incredibly nice guy. I, I like him you know I, I haven't watched all his films but I uh, think yeah, he's a really nice guy
0: I find them a bit of a guilty pleasure I kind of enjoy watching them because you know there, there is something to take from them the kind of Sharknado vibe where mm. you, know, you know it's not the best film in the world but it's it's enjoyable nonetheless
1: yeah
0: and there's definitely a place for that
1: oh absolutely
0: but I haven't seen it, Rampage, I'll, I'll need to look that out and see what it's like.
1: That's a tricky one. It's, Rampage is about a guy who essentially is going around shooting people. It's like the gun issues that America's having right now with these uh, acts of terrorism, uh, yeah. mass shootings. And it's, it is, in a way, playing off of that. And when we had shot the first one, I remember, you know, Columbine had happened and we were filming this. And I went, this is kind of fucked up. And I was hesitant on, on shooting that but I also was an actor in need of work yeah, to pay my bills. But the continuing, I don't know how many movies they've done of it. I personally think that part of what art is, is to reflect what's going on in society. And I think that paintings do that. I think that sculptures will do that. I think that, you know, many, many artists do that. Film and television does that. Albeit, I think that it's better when they do it on a, a more shrouded note that makes you really think, rather than on the nose. But with some films, it seems like they support or capitalize on things that are happening—usually bad things. Yeah, and that one I think is a particularly bad thing, and I I don't like the glorification of it. And I'm a part of that first film. Granted, I'm not doing anything bad, but I am a part of it, and there is a part there is. A part of me that goes, I, I wish at that time, if I could go back, I wouldn't have done that. Not because I don't like UVA, but just because I, I think they glorify something that's, that's wrong, that I don't think that people should do.
0: That's fair, very fair. Got to pay the bills, though. You do. You're on Vampire Diaries, which was a massive show with an equally massive following. So what was it like joining the, the cast and sort of getting your first taste of that kind of fandom were you kind of assaulted by it or assaulted is the wrong word but you know did you experience a great deal of that or um, was it kind of more subdued
1: i experienced some of it it wasn't too bad you know my character was initially there were some people that were a little aggressive but it wasn't bad and one of my best friends is paul wesley so it was nice to join him I just get to hang out with him because he you know they filmed that in atlanta and i lived in, uh, in los angeles so you don't get to see your friends all the time so it's nice when you yeah. get to to hang out with them and then the cast i already knew them julie pleck who's wonderful i already knew her and it was just a nice experience it was great to be able to come on board and play with them for a bit the fans weren't bad to me uh, they were pretty supportive but uh, yeah i mean i've had there's there's always fans and people who send you some death threats or <laughs> or you know, what have you and really and truly it's a lot of times probably some 10 year old behind a keyboard so you know, what are you going to do a lot of people say things online that i don't think they would say uh, in person
0: no definitely not the last thing you want is a fully toxic fandom so from what i've seen the vampire diaries was a kind of very supportive fandom in the same way that you know a lot of cw show fans are i guess i mean i'm a fan of C W shows, I watch a lot of them and mm. you know, it is good to just talk to people about the shows that they like rather than why are you still watching this? You know, you don't want those yeah. fans.
1: No, I, I just think that's a negative space to hold and and realistically like some a lot of people the negative things are their life isn't going well or that that's kind of how they talk to themselves. And they're not having a great life, likely. So when people are, are cruel and bully and mean, I mean why create that? Why put that out in the world? It's really and truly, if you're doing that, it doesn't make your life better. It makes it worse. Because you're just bringing that. You're attracting that sort of thing into your life. And then it, they just become more and more bitter or angry or hostile, whatever it is that they're putting out there they bring into their life, which is unfortunate.
0: Yeah, very unfortunate. Dark Matter this is a show we love on this site, on Neil Before Blog. Uh, Joe Malozzi has been really good to us as well. You know, we've interviewed him before, and he keeps like retweeting us and stuff. So I um, spoke to Jeff Tervinian in the past, and he talked about how he was never sure if he was be DD'd again after completing a run of episodes. And your character had a similar ending. That must have been really interesting to sort of not know where you were going next as well. That was certainly his experience. So what was it like being on Dark Matter? I mean, it seems like it's one of those scrappy little shows where you know everyone's like campaigning to keep it in everyone's minds
1: yeah well first of all it was a great crew a great cast and the creatives on it were really wonderful and it was just a lot of fun there was a lot of people like that show so i think how many seasons did dark matter go three or four i can't remember it's three okay
0: yeah three until cancellation
1: yeah good people
0: yeah, and then um, Joe Malozzi seems to be fully engaged in sort of promoting it out there. You know, It's great reading his blog and stuff, so um, yeah, I imagine I he must have been a great shows. person to be around.
1: Yeah, I think that was his baby, and he poured his heart and soul into it. So something that obviously he wants to continue, but also I think that he's a very talented guy, and I'm sure he'll conjure up more wonderful ideas and concepts and shows.
0: Oh, definitely, yeah. I look forward to seeing what he does next, and um, yeah, and Dark Matter was something something quite special in this little bubble that it was in.
1: Yeah, I agree.
0: So, on to Krypton. You said that you had no idea that Adam had a jetpack. Um, did you do any kind of research once you were cast to figure out what he was about, or did you just go on the journey with him throughout the, the run of the show?
1: No, no, it's, that's your job as an artist, is to research, so... As soon as I got it, I I began my research. And DC, people over at DC, particularly Dan Evans, was just so fantastic and sent me a big box um, of Adam Strange gear. Not gear, Adam Strange comics that I just went through with a fine-tooth comb and looked for the through lines. Um, Because every comic changes, right? Circumstances change, the character kind of changes a little bit. But the through line is there, what they're about, what they do, um, kind of who they are at their core is there. So over the course of 15 comics, somewhere around there, 15, 20, and you get get this sense of who he is. And I went, okay, so this is the kind of guy that he is, and and this is what I need to go for. There's a kind of tongue-in-cheek quality to him, even in the comics, that... I went, okay, I can, I can play with that. And he's different, you know? He goes to a world, he's teleported from Earth to Ran, so he's in a completely different world, and for all intents, he is strange to everyone that's there. Um, mm-hmm. and, which means he's different. And he becomes, they don't really go into much detail as to the becoming uh, Adam Strange, becoming Adam Strange, um, which I think is what we dealt into on Krypton. Cameron Welsh and I spoke about it, and... and you know, he just said this is before Adam Strange is the Adam Strange that everyone knows in the comics. So we're really looking at the genesis of him and him becoming the hero of Rand. So I got to go, okay, I have a little bit of freedom to forge who this guy is and where he comes from and to show other qualities um, that are seemingly more human, right? Yeah. Because they're fascinated with how the hero became the hero, right? Everyone knows the hero that came out of the Dark Forest having conquered the beasts within it and made a safe. And they come back a hero, right? Hercules with the lion skin on his head. Yeah. Wow, that's he slayed this lion. But what I think people are, are very fascinated by is what was he like before he slayed that lion? What was Adam like before he donned this jetpack and, and became the hero of Ran. And that's something that is talked about uh, by Joseph Campbell, who I'm a a, a big fan of, you know, in like uh, The Hero with a Thousand Faces, Power of Myth. He talks about the hero's journey, and that lays out the groundwork for all of us uh, in our lives, that we all experience this, the journey of the hero in some way, in some form or another, such as Adam becoming the hero of Rand. is... The same archetypal journey that somebody goes through trying to become who they want to become in their life, get get the promotion that they want to get, let go of their old habits in their life and ties that they had to who they were in high school to becoming a better man or a better woman and finding the love of their life. It's all a journey, and they're going to be faced with things that block them. They're going to be faced with their fears. They're going to be faced with obstacles. And they have to overcome them. Sometimes those are financial obstacles. Sometimes those are real legitimate physical obstacles like people. But we all have to go on this journey. And that was the journey that I was particularly interested in with Adam. And then I was looking forward to as well getting into the real physical journey of it, which is he becomes the hero, and then now he's doing heroic acts. But you first have to start with the hero within to get to the hero without, or. On the outside.
0: Yeah, and when you meet him in the show, he's very much looking for acceptance. It's like the mentions that the Justice League, don't take him seriously, and he wants to kind of prove himself by fixing the timeline. So that must yeah. have been so much fun to play, this kind of insecurity. Oh,
1: it was just fun to lay those Easter eggs as well, and just set everything up and go, okay, this is the world that this guy comes from. And then we fast forward all the way through the series, and you get to Nyssa landing on RAND And seeing a lot of people, there was a discussion, I think it's going on right now, that people are saying, are those uh, parademons or are those Thanagarians? And for me, and my understanding, those are Thanagarians, and Thanagar has invaded Rand. She goes forward in the timeline to Rand thanagar War.
0: Yeah, and then there's the the tease of Darkseid with the Omega symbol and all that kind of stuff as well.
1: Just with that alone we were looking at an incredibly uh, titillating third season.
0: Yeah, it seemed like they were going all out for the third season, should it exist, and with loads of ambition, you know, there seems to be just so much to, to build on from the end of season two. Yeah. But I really liked that he found acceptance on Krypton, you know, that conversation he had with Val about family and how he considers himself part of that family now, and what was, supposed to an assignment for him at first has become this kind of deeply personal thing.
1: Yeah, and changes him at his core.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, in the comics, Adam is with Superman. He he spends a decent amount of time with him. So the fact that he goes back in time and then he's with his grandfather, with Seg, and that connection with the L's is what changes him and helps him to become a real hero is exciting.
0: Yeah, and... You actually have an amazing ability to have this kind of great natural dynamic with everyone you interact with. I really liked the Adam and Kem dynamic in season two. I thought that was just brilliantly developed. But, you know, his connection with everybody he spoke to was great. And so, I mean, it's probably a pretty cliched question. But did these kind of dynamics form naturally as to how you interacted with the other actors? Or was there so much kind of extra work put in to make sure that these scenes popped?
1: Well, uh, first of all, thank you. But it's an interesting thing. There's a thing called chemistry. And they do these things called chemistry. Be tests to see if people have chemistry together no one to my knowledge on krypton had any chemistry tests so we're all cast individually based on our abilities and and whether or not they felt we fit the role i suppose so showing up and everybody kind of having chemistry with one another was a great great gift and it makes your work so much easier so there is some work Obviously, to be done, you know, you have to prep your scene and make the choices. But in terms of the, having a, a naturalness with someone where it kind of it makes sense, that's kind of, I mean, a little bit in your hands, but it's mostly out of your hands. So I think I was just fortunate enough to work with very talented artists that by the grace of God, we all had chemistry with one another. And, and you know, I will say this. Uh, Rasmus Hardiker, who plays Kem, is just a supreme talent. On that show, I've worked with some people that I think are extremely talented. Rasmus Hardiker, is Aaron Pierre is another, Anne Ogbomo, uh, Emmett Scanlon, Cameron Cuff, Cameron Welsh, the showrunner, I think is a, a massive talent. Everyone on that show is extremely, extremely talented. So it was my joy to be able to work with him, and to be up there with someone, especially like Raz, who's so spontaneous and will just go off with things, really makes you have to listen. And, be, and it was, you know, I learned a lot working with him. I learned a lot working with Emmett. I learned a lot working with Cameron. And I, and it was just, it, it was wonderful.
0: And you were sort of fortunate to have a powerhouse like Colin Salmon on set as well. You know, he's
1: um, Yes, absolutely
0: sort of veteran character actor who just disappears into everything he does. and I mean, his Zod is my favorite Zod in live action.
1: this working, you know, very seriously.
0: imagine it must be quite intimidating stand there doing a scene where he's in full Zod mode.
1: Yeah, and he's a big man as well. But he's a tremendous actor. So he, from what I could see, and my take on it is he kind of approached his scenes almost like a conductor, like a classical conductor. He was able to put in the deep bass into his portrayal of Zod, and then also play with it with the light, lightness of a flute at times. He really really took the audience on a journey with that character.
0: Yeah, for sure. What was it like working with a lot of digital elements cuz obviously Krypton has a lot of visual effects. I imagine that must have been somewhat new for you in in that respect just you know having a lot of CGI as in look here, there's nothing here yet, but there will be eventually.
1: Yeah, it's a little weird because they just will put X's up, right, X's of tape, and then you have to imagine. So you're asking a lot of questions. You're going, what, was, what is there? What am I looking at? What is this? And then they, you know, tell you, and, okay, you take, you take a couple of minutes to try and really make it detailed so that it's real. But it's, that's all part of, of your work as an actor. Yeah,
0: acting against tennis balls on sticks and being terrified of Doomsday and things like that.
1: Exactly, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, and being terrified of Doomsday, that was a big thing there. I said on set, I said, listen, this has to be extreme, because Adam is the only one who knows what Doomsday is like Yeah, and what he can do. And he's essentially the apocalypse. So it'd be like if if you've seen the apocalypse, you've seen that it just destroys everything, no one's alive, everything's gone, right? Like yeah. uh, almost like the road. And then you're here now and you see the thing that is going to cause that or could cause that it would invoke such fear and stress. And I mean, you would be beyond afraid of this thing, whereas other people having heard about the apocalypse and whatever else would be probably like, yo, chill out. It's you know, people are fascinated by that. Ah, probably wouldn't be that bad. I would be. I'd go in the woods with a fucking rifle. So for Adam, I just went. He's the eyes for the audience. He's the only human being on that show, and he's the one who has to really show some fear and stress about it, so that we know, as an audience, this is really, really dire. This is some serious. This isn't. Oh, cool. We'll uh, we'll have a little scrap, and it'll be all right. It's like this everyone can die
0: i loved his line about uh, the only person that could take this doesn't exist anymore yeah so that, that was a really powerful line mm, just kind yeah. of outlines the stakes right there just in in one one shot
1: yep Yeah, and that's you know that's that's the talent of the writing staff that was on krypton
0: yeah constantly absolutely.
1: coming up with beautiful storylines and beautiful ways of expressing these storylines the dialogue just wonderful a real gift
0: what was the kind of on-set atmosphere like? I always like hearing about maybe pranks that the cast play on each other or things like that, you know, in between takes. Was there any of that going on? Or
1: Of course. You have Rasmus on set, and I would say he was the local prank. So it was just a lot of fun, and, and you know, the set was light. It was a place that uh, fostered creativity, and that I, I put up to Cameron Welsh. He truly supported an atmosphere of play which encourages and allows you to try things and to fail because that creates life that creates a show that's compelling that's alive and breathing which is what i think is the job so you know these sets that create an atmosphere of fear don't muddle your lines get it done we you know we need to we're moving on right that sort of atmosphere is not conducive to creativity and i don't know many places like that that have created good art because art doesn't thrive under fear
0: yeah no one wants a a toxic atmosphere anywhere really
1: no no any sort of i mean you need there's there's some i'm not saying that you can't have that you shouldn't have rules on set or like hey we got to move on or we got to get this that happens but in terms of a general atmosphere I don't think that it should be an atmosphere of stress and fear and someone staring at you going, you better say all these lines verbatim or else. I mean, the job of the actor is to say the lines, and so you do prep it. But you can't be up there worried if you said we are or we're. It it just doesn't... It's not conducive for creativity.
0: Yeah, fair. So can you think of any specific sort of pranks or whatever, just any kind of funny stories that that come to mind that you're obviously allowed to talk about?
1: Well, there was a lot of fun stuff that we did on set. Uh, You know, there was a whole thing with Hannah and myself, who plays Jax, that it wasn't written that, that Adams kind of had a crush on Jax and that Jax maybe kind of liked it. That was something we came up with. And there's a lot of stuff that ended up on the cutting room floor just simply because it's a cable show. And you're bound to a time limit. So if the thing is has to be 46 minutes, as if it's streaming, you don't necessarily have to do that. If you take a look at your streaming shows that you watch, uh, you'll see that the runtime for the for each episode is different. Uh, it yeah. might be 50 minutes, and then another one might be an hour and three, and you know, one might be 48. So those run times change based on the flow of that episode, which allows you a better show, right? It allows you to, to let things breathe. It allows you to pace things up if you want. It allows you to tell the story in the way that you think is compelling. Whereas when you have runtime and you have commercials, you may cut an episode together and then, like, we've got to trim out by five minutes too late. you got to start cutting stuff. Sometimes scenes are drastically cut. The stuff that happens ad-libs and, and things that, that I think are, are the characters. You know, they're kind of a looking glass window into who they are and what make you really like it, in my opinion. For example, Jax and I had this thing where she has one eye, and so she's just blinking. And I made a joke that it's her winking at him. <laughs> right? But really, she's just blinking. And a lot of that, I mean, there, there might be one instance of it, but we were doing it throughout the season but a lot of that stuff got cut we had another thing with adam cam welsh and i thought it was hilarious adam is just terrible with the zeta beam landings and he's smashing into everything and i would land and i would hurt myself the opening thing is i i crash in season two i crash into um into candor who candor and you hear me say right in the johnson and i come out <laughs> and i'm rubbing my shoulder and then later in the woods i crash down and kind of cover my crotch and, and I think I say something like my elbow or something like that. I was just consistently messing up the anatomy, right? rubbing a different part of my body and saying a different word for it. At the end, uh, I had a thing where Val was trying to contact Seg as Doomsday is wreaking havoc on the moon. And I slide and fall and then jump up. And I'm, if you look at it, I'm holding my I'm, I'm, I'm hand on my lower back. And on the day, we were laughing about it, but I was holding my lower back, going, "Oh, my neck!" <laughs> and so just messing these things up, which I thought were uh, funny, and the little quirks that you hook into, where you go, "That's the, like that's him. That's ridiculous." That fans like to talk about. That you know, I remember on shows where you had these little idiosyncrasies that, that that's kind of the, that's that's fucking hilarious. <laughs> that's that's who that character is. That a lot of those got cut because of time. Yeah. So those, I would say, are the jam the I think fans don't know about, but we certainly knew about, and we would be laughing hysterically on set. Yeah,
0: and it's funny that Nissa can land perfectly with the Zeta Beam in our first use.
1: Exactly. And that's <laughs> part of it. That's fully intentional. They went, let make Adam just never be able to land well with it, and have Nissa just land effortlessly, and go, oh, <laughs> that was easy. <laughs>
0: well, that's a great anecdote, so I'm sure people will enjoy hearing that, and when they rewatch the show, just kind of keep that in mind in the background. Yeah. Whenever the Zeta Beam gets used. Yeah. So I'm, I'm sure you get asked this all the time, but with the big DC crossover over in the CW happening, the Crisis on Infinite Earths one, obviously Adam was a big part of some of the crisis events in the comics. So were you guys ever approached you know, at all about being included at any point? Or is it just contractually impossible?
1: I don't think it's contractually impossible. We'll see what happens with that. There may be something that happens with that. But we'll see. It's trying to be slight, sorted out
0: slight tease there then.
1: yeah
0: so where did you want to see adam progress to in the next season you're talking about the kind of hero of ran so is that where you saw him going obviously if there's plans and then it ends up getting picked up then don't spoil them there, but yeah. just in terms of where you would like it to go or where you saw it going
1: well yeah that's exactly it it was going into the hero of ran and and uh, we would have been playing with stuff on earth obviously seg with the yellow sun and brainiac has jor-el so then you have Jor-El, possibly, in a yellow sun, and Adam knowing what the yellow sun does to mm. a Kryptonian. So he would have to bring Seg to Earth in order to battle that, and and you know, and then we would go to Ran, and there'd be things going on there. Ran, Thanagar War, and and obviously we would meet Alana. And so we were getting into that world. And I, I do think that Adam's world is fascinating and has a lot to offer. And I think fans would love to see that. I, I do get people messaging me quite a bit about having an Adam Strange show. and DC is doing this Strange Adventures that they're going to be releasing in 2020.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, you know, you never know. Hopefully, I'm able to continue this journey with Adam in some way, shape or form.
0: Yeah, never say never. I mean, you, you see things get brought back all the time, so it's not yeah. impossible.
1: And, you know, I think that Adam's a fan favourite, and again, it's just he opens the doors to a lot of very cool, interesting things.
0: And you're the first actor to get to play with him as well.
1: That's right, and hopefully I get to keep playing Adam Strange.
0: I hope so too. So if you got anything else kind of waiting in the wings? You know, if, if obviously Krypton doesn't get picked up again, have you got kind of other things that you're... Um, planning to make or in talks for
1: there are some things but i'm not going to mention them because i'm slightly uh, superstitious in a way about that but there's a couple things that i'm working on there's something that i've written that i'm getting the phones for that uh, you know that i'm going to direct and then there's some other projects that um, that i'm in the talks so we'll see how those things go you never know until you until you're on set until things are and, and and done
0: Oh Well, I wish you all the best with everything that you're looking to get into. really hope it works out for you.
1: Thank you, brother, and likewise.
0: Thank you. So, final question, just a bit of a light note to end on. If you could have any superpower, what would it be and why?
1: I'm going to stick with what I said earlier, which is to fly. I just think, as a kid, it's just something that there's a freedom to it. And throughout history, I think that man has been obsessed with flying. The human race has always been obsessed with flying. That's why... The Wright brothers are still well-known because they were the ones who crafted, essentially, who, who attained first flight. I just think it would be really, really interesting and fun and cool. And then I get cast as strange, and that's another reason I want to continue with them, so that I can get to fly.
0: <laughs> you wouldn't have cool to pay for me. a flight ever again. <laughs> but thank you very much for that answer. That was a good answer. Flight's quite a popular one. I can see why. It wouldn't be for me. I'm afraid of heights, so it wouldn't be much for me.
1: I'm afraid of heights as well, but I think it's different if you're flying.
0: Yeah, I suppose if I know that I won't fall and die, I assuage my fear of heights a little bit.
1: Yeah, I mean, when you're in a plane, are you afraid? No, I don't
0: mind the flying as long as I don't look out the window, I'm usually fine. Uh,
1: okay.
0: Yeah. It's just if, if I'm up high and I'm aware of the window, up high, okay. I'm like, no, get me down from here.
1: Ah, uh, interesting.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's just mm-hmm. one of my neuroses. We all have them.
1: Yeah. Yeah, we do.
0: Okay, well, I won't take up any more of your time, so thank you very much for coming on the podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Krypton's a show I've loved since it first aired. I've stuck with it, enjoyed it ever since it started, and Mm -hmm. Adam is a big part of why I enjoy it, so it's been absolutely great to pick your brain about it.
1: Oh, great. I'm glad that you enjoyed it. It's you know my pleasure to be on your podcast, and yeah, I wish you all the best.
0: And to you. Thank you very much. That was my interview with Sean Sipos. A big thanks to him for taking the time to chat to me and give me some really amazing insight into Krypton. I hope you'll join me in praying to row for Krypton to be picked up post-cancellation. If you liked what you heard, then you can subscribe on iTunes, YouTube, Spotify, or any major podcasting app. If you want to discuss this interview or anything else, you can contact us on Facebook or Twitter or on NeilBeforeBlog or leave a comment on neilbeforeblog.co.uk. For more chatter and interviews, you can join us again on NeilBeforePod.